Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Good morning and welcome to Dirt Radio. I'm your host, Elise Cunningham, and I'm the coordinator of the Sustainable Cities Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne. We are broadcasting live today from the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people in the Kulin Nation and pay our respects to elders past and present. And also say a big hello to all First Nations people listening and acknowledge the pivotal role that First Nations people play in the struggle for environmental and social justice. This is Dirt Radio, Friends of the Earth show on 3CR, where we dig in deep about what is going on around um, at Friends of the Earth and in the wider grassroots activist community. Um, today's topic on the show, I'll be talking to our guest about the changes to Melbourne's new bus contracts that were announced last week on the 10th of May and what these mean for the public. And this one is close to my heart. It is part of the Sustainable Cities Collective and our Better Buses campaign, which has been fighting for a transformation of Victoria's bus network from the long sort of convoluted routes that you see to a simple grid of fast, frequent and connected electric buses. Um, So most of our organising efforts have been focused on Melbourne's western suburbs, which is, you know, some of the fastest growing areas in the country. And our campaign has connected community groups from across the West and enabled us to share stories from those facing some of the highest levels of transport disadvantage in our state. Um, And one of our key asks is that the government prioritise and properly consult communities in the West um, when it comes to the funding and time commitments um, in bus reform in this term of government. Um, But another ask of ours is that they resolve the contractual issues that could eventually enable this route reform that we are asking for. Um, I'll just play a quick community service announcement and then I will be introducing our guest for the day. Able-bodied Australia does not realise that people with disabilities across the board are being discriminated against. Then the government to demand that we go out and get a job without removing the disincentives like the lack of access to transport and community infrastructure, without providing accessible buildings that can provide barrier-free employment. I'm not getting a fair go and I don't like it and I'm saying so. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55 on the AM dial. All right, so today I will be joined by Ian Laurie, a late-stage PhD candidate and sessional lecturer in public transport planning at the University of Melbourne, who also co-wrote the Better Buses for Melbourne's West and Melbourne's Zero Emission Bus Transition research papers. Ian, how are you today? Hi, Elise. How are you going? 
I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your morning to join us today and talk us through um, what these changes mean. Um, I guess the first question question that people might have is, what are the pre-existing contractual issues that we've been, you know, campaigning for the government to fix, and um, how have they been blocking bus reform? Yeah, I mean, there's quite a bit uh, in that in that question there, uh, Elise, and it's uh, it's going to be fun to, to talk about this with uh, with yourself for the listeners' benefit over the next half hour or so. Um, look, the uh, the, the way that bus contracts are established and set and currently run in Melbourne is um, uh, a bit of a... Uh, uh, I think it's kind to probably say it's a bit of a hodgepodge of, um, of legacy uh, arrangements, which go right back, to, uh, have their origins right back to the beginning of, um, uh, of bus operations in Melbourne sort of around 100 years ago that we've never fully... Uh, uh, kind of grappled with and resolved and and uh, and established a sort of an operating arrangement that, that's truly in the public interest. And so how it's currently mixed is at the moment is, broadly speaking, we have uh, about a third of our bus, uh, our buses and bus routes uh, are operated um, uh, under a structure where the depots that those buses operate out are under a publicly owned. Um, and then the balance of the network uh, is operated by um, uh, a whole grab bag of, uh, of a dozen or so different private operators where the buses uh, and the depots that they operate out are, uh, are private. To make it a little bit more complex as well, uh, the buses that are operating across the system are a mixture of uh, publicly owned buses which are kind of gifted or leased uh, under the contract terms to the operators uh, and other uh, ones that the, the operators themselves own and, um, and charge the government to operate. Uh, at the same time, the contract term dates uh, are all slightly misaligned uh, as well. Um, and so collectively what you've got is a, is a bus network, which is um, kind of pretty complex uh, from a contractual point of view. And anyone who's attempted to use the system, um, the actual um, bus route configuration is also very, very complex and, and, and somewhat difficult to use as well. Yeah, you're definitely right about the uh, complexity and that's something that uh, we've been working through together on this campaign. Um, yeah, I think it's a lot more complex than people realise because of, you know, just how many different contracts there are and all of the kind of politic political stuff that goes on in that space. So, um yeah, with you on the complexity of that one. Um, I guess in terms of the contract changes that were announced last week, can you maybe just explain a bit about, you know, what, what they mean and why they're sort of significant to our campaign? Yeah, so um, I'll try to explain it in, in um, as clear terms as, as possible, at least, because the, the reforms that were announced um, uh, last week, uh, on one hand, they're uh, absolutely essential for, for genuine bus reform that the campaign has been working uh, so effectively with over the last couple of years. Uh, but on the other hand, they in and of themselves are not going to achieve the, the campaign's objectives and, and, and broader objectives across Melbourne for delivering a, a bus network, which is, which is fast, frequent and direct and actually can, can really tap in to gain a significant mode share of travel across metropolitan Melbourne. 
So uh, the, the reforms that were announced last week, what they essentially do is they are attempting to um, kind of clean up uh, the the kind of diversity and mismatch and misaligned end dates and contract provisions and terms that, that sit with all of the existing uh, operators to, to reset uh, a good number of the current contracts which uh, come up for renewal on 30th of June 2025. And that 30th of June 2025, new, new contract terms will be entered into for those under a 10-year provision. And so what that will mean is, is that, that uh, the broader, the bulk of Melbourne's uh, bus networks will then be under a, a contractual terms which will run until 2035. Um, why this is sort of important, and you kind of think, oh, well, well who, who cares? Um, the main importance that this is is that the 10-year term uh, will have a provision that at the end of that 10-year term, uh, the government will have control uh, in a way that it doesn't currently have over the assets of the bus network in its totality. And so what that does and why it's so important and why it in and of itself actually constitutes quite a radical reform and quite an important reform is it will enable the government in a kind of a logical way to begin the process of um, electrifying the network uh, as it's committed to do. So if, if your listeners will recall, um, the government's previously announced that it's not going to be acquiring any diesel or fossil fuel generated buses from 2025 onwards. All buses that are coming into the network from 2025 uh, will be 100% um, um, uh, electric buses. And so... Uh, what the new contract terms uh, will allow them to do is to start investing into the depots, uh, all of the necessary sort of depot-based infrastructure uh, to facilitate that transition. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's... I agree with you that, you know, in the long in the longer sort of term, this is going to be such a great thing for Melbourne's bus network. And as you said, it's going to make it so much easier to do that electrification. Um, but I guess in terms of, you know, our bus route, at, our bus network at the moment and what communities in Melbourne's western suburbs are facing is that there is this sort of sense of urgency to it and, um, you know, electrification is also not the only thing that's going to reduce emissions because one of the problems with the actual services not being reliable is that folks are left dependent on their on their cars um so i guess that's why you know we are holding our rally tomorrow to sort of push for that network reform as well do you do you see sort of in the next you know in the shorter term a way that that kind of route reform could be done? Yeah, so, so there's a couple of things in that, Elise, is that, that absolutely these contract reforms in and of themselves are not going to achieve, by their very nature, they're not going to achieve the type of network route reform that is absolutely critical to get people out of their cars, to enable people to, uh, you know, sell the second, third or fourth car, to be able to actually use public transport as a, as a viable uh, mode for everyday uh, travel, and so um, you know that is absolutely critical. And I, and I think it might have been said elsewhere, but you know one of the things here is is that, that electric buses are nice, uh, but a bus that actually is full of people taking people places, in a sense, it would probably be better if it was diesel and happened really, really soon, rather than just sort of waiting off into the never never for an electric bus, which we now know is coming. 
uh, but it might be nearly 10 years away before actually they, they roll out onto the network. And in a sense, the, the, the electrification of the network would be a, a, an utter missed opportunity if we just electrified the existing route structure. There's no point having electric buses running around the streets with no one on them uh, offering a service uh, quality, which is really just not good enough for anyone to get out of their cars. And so um, if, if we're looking at actually achieving sort of the, the climate objectives that are so critical, um, electrification is important, yes, but route reform is absolutely critical. Uh, and, you know, either way, within a few years' time, um, no-one's going to sell anyone a diesel bus anyway. So electrification is happening regardless, and the contract reforms are going to probably make that a more streamlined, efficient process uh, uh, from a contractual point of view, but in and of themselves, they're not actually going to to undertake the route reform that are so critical to get people onto buses. So um, the reforms that were announced, last week, it's important to understand they're not covering the entire network. A large proportion of the network was actually recontracted uh, within the last sort of 12, 18 months or so, and Kinetic, uh, one of the bus companies, has taken that on. And my understanding of that is that, that it is possible for those bus routes to be uh, to be restructured and that there can be some strategic work which goes on uh, in the near term to be able to undertake a process of reform contractually under those. Um, uh, clearly, for the uh, buses which are coming up for renewal under the contract terms of 2025, uh, that would be a uh, more logical time to do reform of, of, of those routes under the, under the provisions of the new contract terms. Um, but if you go back in, in a sense, it, it's never impossible to do network reform. Um, the, the government... Is, is paying private operators to operate to a certain timetable. Uh, it's always possible for, contract, for government to sort of say, actually, what we want to do now is to restructure this network to operate to a, you know, down different roads to a different timetable, a fast, frequent and direct network. It's always possible for government to do that. Uh, the contractors might say, well, that requires us to, to go about our business differently. And the government can, can clearly say, well, yeah, okay, that's fine. Tell us, tell us what the implications of this are for your operations and let's have a conversation about it. Um, it's always possible for government to do that if it wants to do it. Um, so I think it's important for us to remember that, that uh, route reform can happen. Uh, the current structure of contracts is not ideal if you wanted to do route reform. There are some major changes coming up in 2025 which is going to help that but it can happen at any point uh, if, if there's enough political will to do so. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, given that it's 70% of the contracts that are um, not up for review in 2025, it does sort of, you know, make it pretty clear that route reform is something that they can do now and something that we are going to keep keep pushing for because we know that it's possible and um, while these contract changes are good, we don't want them to sort of, I guess, become an excuse for the government to not do that reform that is so sorely needed now. Um, We are going to go to a quick song break and then we'll be back to chat for another 10 minutes or so. Um, I'll put the song on now and then we'll be back after that. Thank you. Thank you. 
we go that was the shuffle demons with spadina bus the 1986 track uh from a high energy canadian band that blends virtuosic jazz and funk playing with eye-catching costumes and over-the-top stage antics to produce an incredible show i thought why not make it make it bus themed today um you're listening to dirt radio on 3cr with elise cunningham chatting to ian laurie from the university of melbourne Welcome we back, Ian. Of, we should make it one of the objectives, uh, at least, that at the end of this bus reform program, we get someone to sing the praises of one of the new bus routes that gets introduced in Melbourne. I think you're absolutely right. We're going to need to make a whole song and dance about it, that is for sure. Um, so I thought maybe, Ian, with these last uh, 10 minutes, we could have a bit of a chat about the... Uh, state budget that's coming up next week. I guess um, when it comes to bus reform um, and having a think about, you know, what what we might be looking out for when it comes to this budget, what what is it that we want to see that might indicate 
indicate to us that the government is serious about bus reform in this term of government? Yeah, it's a really good uh, question, Elise, and I think uh, you would have to have been uh, fairly absent from any type of media in the last couple of months to realise that this this state budget is going to be a little bit different from uh, many that we've seen in the last few years, even through the pandemic, where um, this budget will be um, uh, slightly less on the largesse in terms of um, transport infrastructure uh, and, and expenditure by government more generally. Um, so what we would be looking for and what would be great to see uh, within the budget uh, is that there, there is some uh, evidence uh, in, the budget, in the budget uh, outcome that there is a, a clear commitment to, to not only the contractual reforms that we were talking about earlier, but actually a political commitment to uh, route network um, uh, reform as well, which is, which is just such an important part of actually lifting the bus network up out of its current malaise and actually becoming a genuinely useful uh, transport objective for Melbournians. And so you'd be looking in the bus uh, program there to see, yep, clearly we're going to expect some uh, some capital expenditure in terms of the beginnings of the electrification process, uh, but really what we'd be looking for as well you know, is evidence of, of kind of um, some type of planning, initial implementation of, of network reform. So by that we're meeting um, service frequency increases, um, some planning for how the buses are actually going to be able to move through traffic on arterial roads in, in more effective ways so that they're not getting stuck by single car, uh, single occupant cars, uh, something of that nature. A, a sort of a, a clear commitment in the budget that there is a genuine route network reform structure uh, that's coming for us. Yeah, and um, as you said, the the budget this year is going to be um, definitely different to other ones we've seen in recent years. And one of the things that we've really picked up on um, in the Sustainable Cities Collective are the major cuts to public transport projects that would have had a really good benefit for um, communities in the West, like the airport rail, uh, which would have seen communities get you know a bunch of new sort of train stations, but um, as we know, bus reform is something that, you know, if, if it's just the route changes, it could be done pre- with pretty much just the current operating costs, right? Um, and, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a really important um, point that you raised earlier, is mm-hmm. that, that, look, no, no government, is, you know, no government um, policy change or shift comes absolutely for free. Uh, but the reality is, in the in the scheme of uh, the very capital infrastructure turn and infrastructure investment that we've had over the last, you know, ten or fifteen years or so, uh, much of which has been absolutely essential and critical mm. from a public transport point of view, Fargo's roads. But we don't have time to talk about that. Uh, bus reform uh, that we're talking about here could be implemented uh, in a very very quick time frame. Uh, in a way that probably is for budgets that's, that's comfortably within the cost of, um, you know, one or two level crossing removals that we're seeing happening all over the place. Um, you know, I think the thing when I'm... Uh, it's quite an enjoyable aspect of, of teaching um, public transport concepts to students at the University of Melbourne is, is when you when you tell to them uh, and, and announce to them, look, Melbourne operates and invests enough money in its current bus network to have the world's best suburban bus network. Um, there is, it's not actually a cost or it's not actually a service uh, problem that we have, which is such a luxurious position to be potentially in compared to most, say, sort of um, North American cities, for example, where the amount of bus service they operate is, um, you know, really just insufficient to actually do what anyone 
uh, might want it to do. Here, we actually do operate a lot of kilometres of bus service, and the, the barriers are really just the political will to restructure that route network to provide something which is actually fast, uh, frequent, and direct, and gets people where they need to go. And um, you know, it can happen with not a substantial amount of um, of, of additional uh, you know budget uh, expenditure. Um, it, it can happen. It just it's just going to take political will. I mean, and. This is this is what I just don't understand is why there isn't that political will because it's something that the community are clearly crying out for um, and something that would have a huge benefit, you know, not only for those people but I guess on, on the economy, like for the economy on the whole because people would have greater access to jobs, to services, to healthcare and, you know, to get to their nearest activity centres. Um, so it just – it's – it just doesn't make any logical sense that this is how we're operating the bus system. And every time, you know, I have, I'm sure you experience this too, but every time you explain to someone sort of what we're asking for in the Better Buses campaign, people are shocked that that's not what is already happening because it just makes so much logical sense to just, um, you know, plan the, plan the buses correctly and provide that as an, as an essential service that it is. So I guess that's what I want to understand is why there isn't that political will. Um, yeah. Any I mean, insights? I think, yeah. Look, I mean, I think the 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 background of this is really it's um, a concern that changes to the existing network, even if ultimately you're going to radically improve the network overall, changes to the existing network will require some existing users to adjust the way that they uh, interact with the bus service. So some people will have a bus stop that's very close to their house. Perhaps that bus stop will require them to walk a little bit further. Now, walking a little bit further will actually then open up to them a bus service that's vastly more useful for getting across the city. The bit of research that we did by reconfiguring the network in the western suburbs uh, when we looked at it last year realised that uh, keeping all of the operating costs uh, effectively static, exactly the same as they are now, and you just use all those existing service kilometres you could reconfigure the network to provide access to sort of three, four, five times the number of people within a given travel time. I mean, that's a that's a, that's a huge opening up of the city, a huge sort of opportunity of freedom for the city, which is sort of blatantly sitting there. But in that, there are going to be some people who might have to walk a little bit further right at the beginning or at the end of their trips, even if ultimately the bus, when they get to the bus stop, is going to be there within a couple of minutes rather than 30 or 40 minutes away. So the political challenge around this is is not being scared about that reality, is not being um, kind of rabbit in the headlights about reform, being concerned about how existing users might be upset, even if it's going to produce better outcomes for them, and tapping into the reality is of all the hundreds of millions of extra trips that will happen each year by people who currently drive. Um, they're the people you should say, well, actually, we're delivering this for them and and... We've got to come up with a really good and clear communication uh, uh, scheme to to sell the benefits of this to all the existing users as well. So it's actually, in some ways, the theory of the network reform is actually really quite settled. It's been settled for many, many years. Uh, the late, great Paul Mees, that many listeners might remember, um, settled the theory of this many times, many years ago. The challenge now, actually, we're on the cusp of a reform campaign, and we know that government is seriously thinking about doing some of this stuff and applaud them for, for, for getting as far as they have, 
the challenge now is actually to get an incredibly good community campaign to actually sell the benefits of this network before, which, you know, the campaign itself is, is part of this and many of the people you've been speaking to recognise the benefits mm-hmm. of it. The government now itself needs to, to bring its, uh, you know, not in substantial skills in, in, um, uh, in, in sales um, mm-hmm. and, and marketing on these ideas to, to, bring, it, to bring it to life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, Ian, we're we're nearly at time now, so um, thank you so much for joining us today. And to all of our listeners, we will be holding a rally for bus reform tomorrow at twelve thirty p.m. at Spring Street on the steps of Parliament to demand that the government do commit to bus reform in this term of government. So. Um, please head to our website, melbournefo.org.au, or visit our socials to find the sign-up links. And, yeah, head on down and join us at Spring Street tomorrow. Um, I've been your host, Elise Cunningham, and next up on 3CR, we've got Billabong Beats with Gavin Moore, so stay tuned. Thanks so much, Ian. Thanks very much, Elise. Thanks, listeners.